Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Welcome to Into the Breach, an RWI podcast uh, where we tackle all things related to reps and warranty insurance. I'm your co-host, Brian O'Keefe, and I'm joined by my partner, uh, Jenna Usenheimer. Hi, Jenna. How are you doing this morning? Good, Brian. How are you? Very good. Very good. Enjoying this. I was just going to say, enjoying this nice fall weather we're having. I know. I think it's getting too cold too quickly, though, here in Washington, D.C. anyway. I agree, and New York as well, and too dark too quickly. You, the sun was setting at like 9.30 for so many months, and now it's like 7.30 and it's dark out. As we're all holed up in our houses, uh, in our dark houses now, huh? Exactly, exactly. The winter is going to be brutal, I think. Well, uh, well, we have a, a ray of sunshine with us today <laughs> uh, in uh, our guest that we're very fortunate to have with us today. Um, and we're really excited about this. We have Scott Pigram, um, who's the Senior Underwriting Manager of Liberty Global Transactional Solutions, um, one of the main reps and warranty insurers. And uh, Scott, thank you very much for joining the show. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jenna. Thanks for having me. Uh, really happy to be part of the podcast. Do you want to give us a little bit of background, a little bit of summary of your professional background, how long you've been at Liberty, you know, what your position is, what you do all day? Sure, sure. That sounds great. Uh, so as Brian mentioned, I am uh, Scott Pegram. I'm a senior underwriting manager for the Americas region of Liberty GTS. Uh, so I started with GTS uh, in April 2018. So I've been with the company for a little over uh, two, two years or so. Um, so my main function is to basically oversee the underwriters in the Americas region, um, you know, handling reps and warranties, uh, tax liability, and also contingent insurance policies. Um, so, you know, it's a combination of sort of management responsibilities, administrative responsibilities, and also active underwriting uh, policies for, for new deals that we receive. Right. And when you went to law school, did you always know that you wanted to be, have a career in corporate insurance? <laughs> Is this your dream? So I think uh, it, it was more of a, a later dream that actually came to fruition, <laughs> which is you know awesome for me. Uh, when I was in law school, I really focused on um, corporate uh, M&A and corporate uh, law in general, not necessarily corporate insurance. But I had previously been a paralegal at a global um, law firm and uh, really worked in litigation and any trust and bankruptcy litigation as well. So didn't really have the opportunity to delve into the M&A transactional side. Um, you know, after I graduated law school, I had the fortunate opportunity to work uh, in litigation within the in-house department of another global insurance company. Um, but I did always have a passion for the M&A market in general. Um, I actually, you know, worked uh, at a pretty, pretty well-known legal publication reporting on new M&A transactions after I graduated undergrad. Um, so that was, you know, a very interesting uh, time for me. Um, and then, you know, at this insurance company, I discovered an opportunity within the reps and warranties product line and decided to kind of see, you know, see what that was about. You know, I understood that it was really insurance for the M&A market. And, you know, me not knowing what the, what the product was, I thought it was, you know, ensuring that the deal actually went through, right? And I'm sure most people when they hear reps and warranties insurance they say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we cover, you know, cover the deal actually, you know, signing and closing, which obviously, you know, isn't the case. 
Um, but once I did, you know, get into the product line and, and you know, discover the market, uh, you know, I really, really found myself enjoying, you know, transaction liability in general um, and just really decided to further my career and, uh, and keep it going from there. That's great. And we know that Liberty has really been uh, really been growing, we know. Um, and maybe you just want to talk a little bit about just the size of your team now and the structure of your team. We know you've, you've really been uh, really expanding and hiring a lot of people and becoming very active players in this market. Sure, sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, yeah, when I, when I started with Liberty, um, it was 2018 and we had about uh, two actual underwriters with market experience. And then we had also uh, hired two two new joiners to kind of um, be underwriters in training, uh, both former corporate M&A attorneys from big law firms. Um, now, so that's, that's a team of four. Right. Uh, and now, you know, two years later, we've grown to a team of 22 members. Uh, across five different offices in the Americas and in Canada, so we're we're at uh, we're in New York, uh, Houston, San Francisco, Boston, as well as Toronto. Um, so you know we really really did um, you know put all of our efforts into growing the team over the last few years and uh, really you know hitting the market as much as possible to kind of you know build up our presence and um, you know have Liberty have a, a bigger face within the uh, the Americas region. Well, it seems to be going very well for you. I mean, you're everywhere. Right. <laughs> more and more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been it's been it's been a great experience. It's been very rewarding. Um, and, you know, it's it's partly, you know, based on the new talent that we've hired and the the hard work of the underwriting team that, um, you know, sits in the, the Americas region. But also, you know, I'd be remiss uh, to not mention the fact that we are a global unit. So Liberty GCS Americas itself uh, has five offices in the Americas uh, and Canada, but Liberty GCS globally, um, is an insurance team with underwriters located, you know, in the Americas, EMEA, as well as APAC, with over about uh, 60 insurance professionals. So we do have one of the largest teams in the M&A market, um, and we have the capabilities to sort of, you know, underwrite global cross-border transactions. You know, obviously subject to underwriting appetite uh, and other terms and conditions, which which can be found on our team website at uh, LibertyGTS.com. And since you're giving yourself a plug, do you want to talk about the new claims report that Liberty has recently issued? Sure, of course, of course. So, um, you know, our, our team has been very, very busy um, based on the recent release of our inaugural claim study, um, which was released on Monday, September 14th. And uh, the claim study really is the first of its kind, which kind of provides an, an in-depth sorry, an in-depth and comprehensive view over, uh, you know, 325 claim notifications that have been received from our team over a 10-year period. Um, so that can also be found at our website at libertygts.com. Um, but it's, it's, you know, a very, very comprehensive um, report, and it's about over 30 pages or so, and really take a deep dive into understanding, you know, where claims are coming from, how claims are getting paid, um, and, you know, our team's response to receiving these claim notifications. Yeah, I was checking out that report, Scott. I mean, it is a very comprehensive report, and uh, we would certainly encourage our listeners to to, to check it out because uh, it really really dives into these issues very deeply, and uh, it's just really really impressive uh, material that that you've put out there for the whole market to uh, absorb and, and get a better handle on everything. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, we were we were definitely happy to be able to uh, put something uh, as comprehensive as this out to the market. Great, great. Well, um, transitioning a little bit to what, what we're kind of seeing in the market, and I think what we wanted to talk with you a bit about, Scott, is, uh, you know, the, the number one topic, I guess, the COVID-19 exclusion that insurers have, uh, have been uh, dealing with since COVID came about. And, you know, I kind of go back to in February, I remember having a, a dinner with you and 
me and Jenna, we were sitting at the Aon conference at a very nice patio in, in Miami and seemed like the world was uh, just fine. Though I will say Jenna at that time was telling me that there was some virus that might, you know. I was. She I was. totally was. I mean, yes. Jenna was like way ahead of the game and I was, uh, you know, just listening to the president and listening to other people and saying, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. What is she talking about? Why is she telling me all the time about this virus? Um, but, you know, it was sort of incredible, I think, when we think about that, that it was only like seven months ago, right? And that we were in an environment with reps and warranty people and it seemed very different and, and now where we're at, so. But um, we were outdoor dining before outdoor dining was a thing. So <laughs> we were ahead of the curve go, on that one. That yeah. is right, that is right. We didn't have any masks on though, so. No, no masks, no masks. No masks. No masks. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about uh, just how COVID has, uh, you know, impacted your your product and what you're seeing. And, um, you know, then I think we can maybe get a little bit into the the sort of exclusion area. Sure, sure, yeah, um, and and yeah, I do remember that dinner, and it feels like a world ago, uh, you know, a, a world away now. <laughs> it's um, we've definitely come, you know, come a long distance throughout this year, and it feels like we've had about five years within this one year. So it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely definitely new world we're living in now. Um, but yeah, no, good question. And obviously, you know, COVID nineteen is really the hot topic in today's uh, M and A market and and the reps and warranties market as well. Um, you know, we've uh, we've always sort of uh, you know looked at COVID and, and and tried our best to sort of take a pragmatic approach to understanding, you know, the risks behind COVID-19. Um, and I think that, you know, has helped us as an insurance carrier to really be able to, you know, dig into the weeds with respect to potential coverage positions, uh, you know, within COVID. Um, you know, we do know that there have been, um, you know, some dips uh, and declines in, in submission flow in the past. And, you know, uh, we can get a little bit more uh, into that a little bit later on. But, you know, I think that one of the best things that Liberty GTS has done is really taken a, a very pragmatic approach to understanding the COVID-19 risk uh, in order to, you know, help serve our clients as best as possible. And also to sort of, you know, keep uh, keep deal flow coming in and, and, and to make sure that we're, um, you know, analyzing these risks on a case-by-case -case basis to uh, better better provide, you know, broader coverage where we can. Do you want to talk a little bit about that approach that you're taking, the pragmatic approach, and how you came to that approach, and how you think it sets you apart from the other markets? Sure, sure. Uh, so very early on, I would say um, around the end of February, early March, when you know when the pandemic really, really hit the states, uh, you know our um, our president and our chief underwriting officer had discussions with all the regional heads, and we really decided, you know, this is this is a, an area that was very brand new to the market. Um, you know, the the potential implications for you know claims in the future and loss um, was was pretty unknown. But I think you know, really looking at how the, the product interacts with uh, M and A transactions, you can kind of understand a little bit of what the risk is there with respect to you know COVID nineteen. Um, and, and and doing that, we've had you know several workshops, and we um, you know essentially the decided that, you know, we think that if you look at this, you know, this issue on a case-by-case -case basis for, you know, for each deal, you can kind of parse, you know, parse through the industries that were more heavily impacted. Um, you can, you can see the type of, you know, the level of diligence that's been conducted um, by both buyers and buyers council and, and their, you know, relevant advisors um, to really understand what the risk is, what the impact of the, the target business has been. Um, and because of all, you know, all this information that you have at your fingertips while you're underwriting, um, you know, a new reps and warranties policy, 
um, you know, it, it would only make sense for us to take a look at that information uh, in underwriting instead of just saying, you know, we'll have a blanket excuse, exclusion for um, any losses with respect to COVID-19. So I think that's kind of how, you know, we got comfortable at least taking a look at um, the, the potential impacts there. And, and you know, we started pretty, pretty early on. We were one of the first insurance carriers to um, actually decide that we were going to underwrite to COVID and take a look at, um, you know, the risk on a deal-by-deal -deal basis. Um, once we decided that, I think, you know, buyers and clients and, and, and law firms understood, you know, what our approach was and decided, you know, we think that that might be beneficial um, for, you know, for the actual coverage of the policy. And Scott, have you seen like any within sort of taking this um, more pragmatic approach, have you seen any areas where it's still perhaps more difficult, I guess, to get comfortable with the risk or any areas where it's, it's uh, less difficult to get comfortable with the risk or things that have sort of been particular concerns or things that have been easier to, to kind of get your, your head around? Sure, sure. So I think when we when we speak about, you know, COVID-19 and, and the pandemic in general, I think, you know, most people just think about the virus itself, you know, contracting the virus, um, transmission of the virus. And I think for those for those risks, it's pretty, pretty easy to tell whether or not you've had, you know, um, mass employee infections and uh, mass you know, people not being able to go to work or plant closures, um, factory office closures, things like that. So it's, it's pretty easy to, to kind of, you know, dig down on that aspect of the, the disease. Um, but some of the, the more nuanced pieces of the, uh, the, the virus and, and actually the response, uh, you know, the government's response to the virus are, you know, more of these, um, you know, nuanced regulations like the CARES Act and, and PPP loans and things like that. Those are still, you know, pretty, pretty hard to, um, at least in Liberty GTS's opinion, um, to to really underwrite to um, with you know very very um, you know specific comfort level just because the regulations are continually um, you know being modified on a day to day basis um, and and they're all brand new regulations and they they you know they they tack on the potential for um, you know criminal and civil fines and penalties and different liabilities that you know really could uh, you know potentially be be large loss. So those those are some of the you know again some of the, the more nuanced areas where we still find it a bit difficult to underwrite to uh, to those types of risks within the COVID nineteen sort of you know, universe. And what about like what are you seeing in, with material contracts and vendors and suppliers and things like that? Is that another area that's a little harder to underwrite to? Yeah, so, you know, I think it's it's unfortunate that, you know, I think material contracts and vendors and supplier um, arrangements have always been sort of a hot topic and, and very difficult to underwrite to even, you know, pre-pandemic era, right? So, um, the idea that you have, in, in, yeah, the internal folks um, handling these contracts, if you don't have a real sort of centralized um, contract, um, you know, position or contract review position, um, a lot of times you have individuals within the company holding these relationships with their, you know, customers and suppliers. And, you know, you, you never know exactly what's happening with those individuals if people aren't being responsive to customers and clients, if, um, you know, if emails are getting lost sort of in transition, um, you know, within the day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, uh, workday, right? And, and it's always been sort of an, an issue for, for the rest of warranties market to really, really tie down the diligence on customers, suppliers, and, and material contracts in general. 
I think the good thing is that after, you know, we've gotten into the COVID-19 pandemic era and we've um, started, you know, really, really seeing a lot more deals and a lot more diligence being conducted by both the buyer and buyer's counsel, we really have seen a level of diligence that, is, that has sort of been increased with respect to these types of material contracts, especially because there have been, you know, historic shortages um, with, you know, from, from vendor supplies and uh, suppliers in general, um, from raw material supplies um, for, you know, customers requesting, um, you know, extensions on paying down debt, things like that. So I think, you know, I think buyers are aware of that risk. And because of that, we've seen, um, you know, an enhanced sort of diligence process around those those customer contracts and material contracts, which, you know, is favorable for us. But at the same time, you know, it's still a very, very tricky area for us to underwrite to. Sure. Where do you think that the exclusionary language is going when it comes to the COVID exclusions in the future? Like, can you predict or see trends in the market of where you think it's, this is going to end up for people? Sure, sure. And that's a great question. So, you know, um, you know, GTS can't necessarily predict what will actually happen with the, you know, with the COVID-19 exclusionary language. Um, but what we can say is that, <laughs> right. you know, we uh, think obviously. that... <laughs> you were going to well, take we, you to yeah, Vegas exactly. on this. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, but what we can say is that, you know, um, you know, from, from an institutional perspective, obviously GTS will continue to evaluate the impact of COVID-19 and the changing language, but we also expect that um, as we continue to underwrite more m policies in this era, as well as um, the rest of the market, we'll, we'll start gaining, you know, more and more knowledge and expertise around COVID-19 in general, around the pandemic and any potential losses that could possibly arise from the pandemic. Um, and when we think that ultimately the market will continue to come to sort of a, uh, a reasonable and commercial coverage result for, um, for all m insurance products. So, you know, um, we've already seen, you know, based on our own policies as well as other, um, other intel in the market that We've um, we've seen very strict and very broad exclusionary language uh, for COVID-19 in the past, and over the last, I would say, five months or so, we've seen that language sort of being more narrowly tailored to the, the true issues that uh, make insurance companies a little bit more nervous and um, that have a little bit more uh, risk to, um, you know, to those issues. And, and now that, you know, we, we've seen, um, you know, the, the days of the, the true broad COVID-19 exclusion um, sort of uh, windle away a little bit, um, I think that we'll probably see something similar, you know, over the next, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months as, as the market continues to, to better understand the pandemic, as well as, you know, the rest of the economy and society understands, uh, you know, the potential impact from, from the pandemic. Sure. I, think, sure. I think that's consistent too. You know, I've been saying, Scott, that I think it, it affects every deal, but it affects it unevenly. It's not something that, you know, we can right. say there's some form, you know, this is how it is. Uh, and if you want to take the most conservative approach, yes, you would just say we're going to not cover anything with it. Um, but, you know, I think it does really affect things unevenly. And I think we've even seen in some deals we've worked on where at the end of the day, you know, leased offices and not making products and selling products that are hot in this market. Um, you know, there maybe can't, maybe there isn't much of an effect at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, they, they could actually get a policy that should resemble something that is uh, similar to sort of the pre-COVID terms, which I think is, you know, consistent right. with sort of the pragmatic approach that delivery has been taking on this. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think um, turning that, to that sort of the, the broader uh, market market look and where where, where the market kind of stands today, what, what are you seeing in terms of submissions and, um, you know, now versus where things were at uh, earlier in the year when uh, we were really in the doldrums, I guess? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, yeah, we, we've, um, you know, 
around March or April, we saw um, you know the industry submission flow and, and deal flow in general may have been down you know anywhere between you know sixty to seventy five percent year over year due to due to COVID. Um, and you know that's obviously an unfortunate um, you know situation and unfortunate circumstance that we you know sort of saw the market deal with earlier on in the year, um, but now we're actually seeing the industry rebound uh, in deal activity and, and and many more policies are starting to um, be be bound again. Um, we also see you know sort of deal size you know trending upwards with uh, with GTS seeing more billion plus dollar deals and and more requests for larger multi-layer uh, multi-insurer insurance programs. Um, so all in all, you know I really do think it's uh, it's a positive result and. Um, you know, we have both strategics and private equity shops really uh, going back out there and being a lot more active um, in the in the M&A market and, and making more acquisitions, which is a which is a great result for our market as well. Absolutely. It's great for everybody in the industry, really, to see that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's I think that's consistent with what we've been seeing, um, you know, in terms of this uh, pickup again um, from where things were at, uh, you know, in the early spring, whenever we were all wondering, is there not going to be any more deals left? What are we going to do <laughs> in terms of our jobs and our careers? So it's, uh, you know, it's definitely been good to see the uh, markets. And I agree. I think we've also we've also been seeing more strategics, um, you know, getting involved in this and uh did have lots and lots of resources and you know the ability to you know now might actually be a really good time to be buying things as opposed to uh, yeah you know whenever it was a very pro uh pro seller market over the last couple of years yeah yeah great great and um you know in terms of uh which you've been seeing if um sort of deal pricing and deal terms um you know if, I think some markets there have been a little bit of an upward trend in the in the pricing um, since the since the springtime. Um, but I don't know if you had any kind of thoughts on where where you think the pricing's been headed or, or where it's going to be going next or where, where it stands at even today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, you know, Liberty did see rates in the market stabilize, you know, after declining a bit in 2019. Um, and then, like you said, you know, late Q1, early Q2, we did see uh, rates in the, in the market sort of lower a bit as uh, as competition grew. I guess based on you know less of an activity, less uh, submission flow during the uh, the pandemic era. And now, you know, we are seeing rates um, start to take a slight uptick. Um, you know, this this could possibly be to account for you know requests for broader coverage. Um, you know, requesting you know more coverage around the COVID-19 risk. Um, also, obviously, um, you know, any potential claims activity from prior years could all sort of impact the the sort of rate increase that we've been seeing in the market um, as of today. Um, you know, I, I do think that coverage still remains pretty broad and commercial and insurers are continuing to evaluate new risks, uh, especially in light of the current times, which, um, you know, may be uh, one of the reasons that we are seeing um, certain uh, insurers uh, you know, slightly increased rates, um, you know, now versus, let's say, you know, early part of the year. Um, and also, I think, you know, another another piece of it is the fact that deals are coming back to life. And, you know, we're not really um, having the same same crunch and the same, um, you know, minimal amount of deal activity that was initially driving down uh, prices at sort of Q1, Q2 of um, 2020. Um, now we're back to more of a healthy market, more of a robust market. And I think um, it's allowing opportunities for uh, insurers to, to uh, you know, increase pricing a bit, um, you know, again, because there's more broad coverage being offered, maybe um, more appropriately priced the risk um, based on, you know, what insurers are actually providing for during this, uh, during this pandemic era. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so we thought that we would move away a little bit now from like the details of business and sort of transition to a fun little game we have. Uh, once more unto the breach, sort of a Henry V throwback. So, um, and we think these are like quick questions. You can answer them. I'm going to ask Brian too, if he has some ideas on these things. Um, so the sure. first question Sounds we like have, fun. oh yeah, no prizes, <laughs> but it's going to be fun. <laughs> um, so the, fir the first question we have is, what do you think the biggest change that we're going to see in the rep and warranty industry in the next 12 months is? COVID or unrelated to COVID? Just, you know, broad strokes in the market. Sure. I think the biggest change we'll see is, is more innovation. Um, you know, GTS has already been seeing new products being developed in the market to respond to, to new risks, um, whether it's COVID-19 related or not. Um, and then also other changes in laws, right? So, you know, I, I really, really do envision this trend continuing the new, uh, you know, continuing and um, new insurance products being developed both within the reps and warranties and the M&A market, as well as, you know, outside of, of specifically the reps and warranties product itself. Um, there have been lots of new uh, products relating to potential contingent type of risk. Um, there have been new types of, you know, hybrid tax reps and warranties policies being requested by brokers. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll really see a lot more innovation over the next 12 to, to 18 months. Absolutely. And we've been seeing that also with uh, people that we've been speaking with, new policies carrying diff covering different portions of the deals and the transactions. So there's been a lot of movement, and a lot of change. All right. Quick hit number two. What career advice would you give someone who went to law school dying to become an underwriter or work in insurance? What would you say? What would you say is like the top one or two best pieces of advice you can give someone? Sure, sure. I, I, I'd have two two top pieces of advice. Uh, number one, um, just really perform as much research as you can on the insurance product you'll be working with, as well as the industry that the product is being used in. Um, you know, there really is a measurable value in understanding not only the product, but also the wider market trends um, that can impact the product and vice versa, you know, how the, how the product itself impacts the market that you're working in as well. Um, and then number two is really, really continuing to actively engage with all the stakeholders, you know, not just the client, not just the broker, but we're talking internal employees and co-workers, ex external brokers, external counsel, um, because, you know, really the more you learn from the market and from your peers, the better you'll be able to serve your clients. Absolutely. That's good advice. All right. And quick hit number three, the best question that we have, what has been, we all, we all know the pandemic has been, you know, a damper on everybody's social life and we've been stuck at home, but what has been the one like silver lining of the pandemic? Did you read a really good book? Did you see a great movie? Have you been keeping up on Netflix? What would you say is like your favorite thing that you've done so far? Sure. So, so this is sort of a, 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 it's a, it's a cop out answer because there's two of them, but they both related to, uh, entertainment right so um so so one of the one of my favorite shows that um you know i've watched even before the pandemic but now is able to really really enjoy it and watch it kind of whenever i wanted to because i'm stuck at home uh, is um is billy is that uh, the showtime show called billions with uh, paul giamatti and damian lewis um really for yeah you, you really got to take a look at it yeah, okay. Yeah, but it's, it's an awesome show. Um, there are so many market comparisons. Um, it really deals with uh, lots of the same trends and issues that we see in our market and in our world. So um, it was nice to be able to see that sort of on the screen and not have to actually, you know, be behind my computer and, and being involved in those same exact, uh, <laughs> exact issues, right? It's kind of more of an enjoyable experience. And then totally. on the exact flip side, um, for more, more for fun, um, I've really been loving the Umbrella Academy, which is a Netflix show with uh, Ellen Page and Tom Hopper. Um, and it's just, on. you know, 
Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a great show just for you know complete fun. It's completely unrealistic. We're talking superpowers and we're talking time travel. It's you know it's amazing <laughs> and it's just it's it's nice to get away from the reality of what we're all living totally. in to to really to really escape and just watch something you know purely for fun. Totally. And Brian, I know you're a big movie buff. So do you have any uh, thing to add? What's been your favorite movie or piece of entertainment during the pandemic that you've been doing? Well, it's tough. I feel like this is all my wife and I've done. I've watched movies since March, but uh, I'll go with the escape theme because I, I, we've, I think the thing I most enjoyed was escaping to the mid nineties when the Chicago Bulls were winning all the NBA championships with the last dance. And I thought it was uh, just a really super great documentary. And I think what's actually interesting about it though, is I'm actually, I'm a sports fan, but I'm not an NBA fan very much, but it's, I, there's a lot to be learned from watching it just about leadership and getting together this team of very different individuals and getting them all working on the same page and how Phil Jackson did that. And I think a lot of people have kind of observed that it's ostensibly about basketball, but actually really not about basketball and it's about something else. And then there's all this great like 90s nostalgia old commercials and stuff so that i remember like a mcdonald's commercial from the 90s right, right. and want to be like mike and all this other stuff it's like ah oh, this is all from like whenever i was growing up so 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 i've certainly enjoyed that uh that uh pandemic viewing but uh it's it's been interesting uh, i was keeping a list at one point of all the movies we watched and then it was like I don't know. This is starting to get unwieldy to keep this list. So uh, this is the only thing we can do. So, Well, I'm keeping a list of things that I want to watch, but I have to say a 1990s documentary about the NBA is not on the list. Missing <laughs> so, out. Despite your glowing recommendation. So, what, so what's the list. top thing you do want to watch? We'll save your favorite thing to the next episode, but what's the top thing on your list of things you do want to watch, Jenna? That's a good question. Let me open up my list so I can tell you. Um, well, let's see. Well, I just watched The Social Dilemma. That was on the top of my list. But I think the next thing that I am going to watch is I DVR'd the entire season of Outlander, but I haven't started watching. So it's the most recent season. So I think I'm going to start that. And I'm hoping that that will prompt me to actually start reading the Outlander series, which I all have in ebook form. And just I'm like, terrified to start because I think there's like 25 books or something like that <laughs> so um that's on my list that's on my list I heard if you watch the social dilemma you'll like want to delete your Facebook account like right afterwards well I only use Facebook for Candy Crush so the social dilemma didn't do that much for me but um yeah I agree I it, it is a little scary actually well, we hope the podcast today has not been scary, and we certainly appreciate uh, Scott joining us today. And thank you very much again, Scott, for uh, for coming here. And uh, we really appreciated your insights on uh, on COVID and the broader markets. And uh, really, just thank you for being a part of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Scott. Of course. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Jenna. I'm really, really happy to be a part of it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Great. Right. Well. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you everybody for joining into the breach and uh, we will see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. 
This podcast is made available by The Lawyer Publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and The Lawyer Publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.